gentlemen, please welcome the return of a former WWE Champion! And welcome. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, and this is Imp's WWE Adventures Podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, live in 2024. We did it, guys. We made it through. Uh, your quick look back at the WWE week that was, and what a week it was. Smackers was a New Year's 2023 recap show. Just to think back, it's like, oh god, in the wrestling world, because of Wrestle Kingdom, you immediately have to think back. It's like, oh yeah, Smack, when SmackDown aired in time for this review, it wasn't even 2024 yet. The day I'm recording this show is the same day of uh, Wrestle Kingdom that's aired. I've been up since 5 a.m. and uh, I have a backstage thing as I've, I've recorded this at like half 10 at night. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've watched Wrestle Kingdom, I've had a whole last day. Now I'm recording. And that realisation as I read my notes was like, oh god, it was 2023 when Smackdown aired. <laughs> also, if you want to hear all the notes on Vessel Kingdom, obviously check out Keeping It Strong Style. I also did an immediate review within 30 minutes of the show finishing. Over on Wrestling Headlines, my review is up. I'll try and put it in the podcast description. So today is Thursday as I'm doing this review. That means that it's a whole day after I've watched NXT New Year's Evil. And I'm all Vessel Kingdom up. I'm all excited. Oh, but there's no better way to be in the mood to talk about wrestling than after you've watched a Vessel Kingdom show. It gets you hyped, gets you excited. You've not actually watched the WWE show yet, because you've, so you've not had that whiplash. <laughs> I'm assuming it's not as bad in the Triple H era, but oh, during the Vince era, oh. <laughs> when you watched the Wrestle Kingdom show and you had that excitement about professional wrestling again, then you turned into Monday Night Raw and it was just grinded out of you. <laughs> it's like, oh God, it, that really hit you like a whiplash <laughs> during those days. However, uh, this week I get to talk about Raw Day 1 and New Year's Evil, so two special shows, and no Smackdown because they did their New Year's recap. So let's jump straight into it, Monday Night Raw, day one, something might have happened. So once again, I will speak in Punjabi, but this time, not about the national anthem. I will tell you what the entire world is thinking about you. The Rock returns to WWE. Yeah, something might have happened on day one. <laughs> that began as well. By the time that I'm doing this show, but you're listening to it on a Friday at the earliest. Yeah, The Rock returned in a segment that I generally really enjoyed. And when I was hearing other people talk about it, I was like, did we watch different segments? Because I was full of praise for everybody involved here. I really enjoyed this. And obviously going to dig into it. There's all different things coming out of it as well. And without SmackDown, I've got the time to jump into it. I guess I'm going to end up kind of talking about SmackDown because it's The Rock with his teaser for Roman Reigns. But let's, guess, let's go through the segments. Go through the segment. What actually happened? Then we can talk about the consequences of it. You know what? I'm actually really glad that SmackDown wasn't on because I get time to actually dissect this. So... First of all, it was hyped a little bit on social media, and because I'm not on social media anywhere near as much as I used to be, that's not as big for me, but they did it during the show, so that was pretty cool, where they were saying that, yeah, there have been rumours that a former WWE champion is going to be showing up on the show. So I just thought, oh, I don't know who it's going to be, but they said a former WWE champion. They've kept it vague, and I don't know whether that's because whoever it is is kind of within that bracket, or it's someone that we're just forgetting about. Like with uh, with NXT, they did it also did some, uh, like somebody, a former champion, is going to be showing up, and it was Kevin Owens. So I was like, it could be on like that kind of like someone you are excited to see but it's not crazy it's not like oh my god this is a moody so when Jinder came out 
I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like a genuinely really good troll. Because trolling the fans isn't inherently bad. You can do a bit of it, but when you do too much, then you got you got you got to really put it back. And they hardly do it at all in the Triple H era. But also, there's a the big thing of uh, I don't I think this was the first show without Kevin Dunn. And immediately you got up a little production thing where they do the announcement for the WWE champion who's going to turn up. They get a shot onto the crowd, like they're ready for the pop reaction, and then Jinder's music hits and goes throughout the arena. There's the noise of, <laughs> but the best thing about the production is they just left the camera shot on them. So when they were going, they didn't cut. They just kept it on those people. Then they tried to find the crowd reactions to cut to as well. But for the long period, they just left it on that one shot. And you know under Kevin Dunn, we did. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But they just left it on that one shot of them all just like, ugh. As <laughs> music hits. And then, guess what? He legit just goes on and delivers the best promo of his career. Not that that's a very high bar. <laughs> to be said, like, especially with the gimmicks that he's had in the past. But for me, this was the best promo of his career. And I'm like, something's got him hyped. I it's because he's actually been given this spot to actually create this character stuff. A part of me was thinking... This is technically strong enough to be its own bit. <laughs> Apart from the fact I completely forgot when it is a foreigner somewhat hinting on the anti-America stuff, what you should never do as a wrestling fan is actually listen to the content of the words that he's saying. Because here, there is good content behind the words that he is saying. And he is saying them well. And when The Rock comes out, <laughs> as I, and, the, and as when The Rock came out and ran out, I was like, okay, no, this is person does heat as in that manner so The Rock can come out and be Mr. America <laughs> or whatever and save the day. And I was just kind of like, oh, I made the mistake of actually listening to the content of the words he was saying instead of just having the automatic reaction of, oh, this is an anti-America promo. Okay, that's what this is. And then immediately tuning out. No, no. I listened to what he was saying as if it was like a rehash, like a new character in a way with a new motivation. And I was like, okay, is he going to be going around actually telling genuine truths of a divided America? He's not saying America bad. He's saying America is in a bad place and I'm going to help you through unity. He's just doing it in a bad way, <laughs> which helps create that uh, like villainous character. And I was like, is this that? there's actually teeth to this. <laughs> he can actually run with something like this. But it, as the course of it went on, and I'm just like, he's he doing such a great job of like telling the truth of a divided America to a WWE crowd that's been conditioned to only know how to react to beats and catchphrases. <laughs> so immediately, it's like, this is the kind of thing that has seeped in a little bit in the Triple H era. Because it's going to take a long time to recondition the fans. Like, you, you watch AEW, where the wrestlers on the shows like actively try and shut down these WWE style reaction chants. But they, they've just seeped into wrestling fandom in America as a whole. It's not just a WWE thing. It's just within the fandom. It's going to take time to erode it. And I feel like both modern day WWE and AEW are kind of both on board to maybe move past like chanting what as a foreigner tries to speak. Like they, they, they know the optics. They're like, we should maybe like move away from doing that. It's not the 90s anymore. It's not, it's not the 80s. But so when Jinder's doing his speech, and there's actual substance to this, which I could find interesting. Again, in his words, he was not running down America. He was saying America's in a bad place and I'm the man to help you, to unify you. But he was doing it in a kind of talking down manner. But then the crowd responds with USA chants because they're not equipped <laughs> to talk, to do it. It's the closest chant they can do related to the subject. But he also shut down really well. When he shut that down, I was just like, I'm sorry, where has this gender been? <laughs> what is it? What has got this man so on point like this? Obviously, it's because he knew he was doing a segment with The Rock, so he brought it. <laughs>
But there's also a great bit of getting the San Diego crowd to own themselves by speaking the US national anthem in Punjabi, bringing them pe- pegged down, knowing they'll be brought back up by The Rock. <laughs> it was just, I was really surprised at how well Jinta did, completely forgetting that in terms of what the chairman was trying to achieve, I shouldn't have listened to a single word Jinta said. I should have just read the vibes, written down on my notes, anti-America promo, and then chanted USA with the rest of them. Because <laughs> when The Rock came out, it was as if he just ran down America and said, America bad. And I was just like, oh, that was a huge mistake for me to actually to actually listen to that. I accidentally watched it like I was watching AEW. <laughs> like, God damn it. I'm not saying either's bad. It's just they're different. And that's what I want. I want my wrestling to be different. This is what I want. But I did accidentally analyse it into my whole promo like it was... I was about to say Hangman Flipping Page. <laughs> but that's just because uh, Swerve, obviously, from this episode of Dynamite this week. But yeah, so now your promo is to the wind, Jinder. Day one douchebag chance is your reward from these ignorant Americans. <laughs> God damn it. Rocky comes out to beat up the Canadian. It's Canadian that he was running off of, right? That was... He's foreign as in, as in he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. And sends him packing... Sorry, Canadian. Sends him pecking, eh? Uh, Leaving the crowd with a massive tease of, when I go out to eat tonight in Insert City here, should I sit in a booth? Should I sit at a bar? Or at the head of the table? To an absolutely thunderous pop. (laughs) Immediately, memes galore of, ah, yeah, sorry, Cody. And what I absolutely love, if these Cody memes were immediately just... It was it was teetering after Cody lost at WrestleMania last year. Since then, loads of other characters within wrestling have finished their stories, including this morning as of recording Tetsuya Naito, <laughs> who famously only has years-long, extremely difficult, long stories. <laughs> and even he finished his story before Cody. He's like, ah, The Rock's back and he's teased a match with Roman Reigns. Uh, and it made it to that Discussing Films account on Twitter. <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, yeah, you can't do that now. <laughs> That's gone. I'm sorry, Cody. <laughs> I just loved it. Like, seeing uh, Naito win and immediately there's like a collage of Cody Rhodes with all the other people finishing their stories in wrestling. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so funny. But that also means that Cody Rhodes is still on the tip of fans' minds. He is the very first person they thought of when this happened which tells me that WWE have done a decent job of setting up Cody to feel like the guy to take on Roman Reigns, uh, only for this to happen. <laughs> so of course, I don't know what they've got planned for WrestleMania. I don't know if they've got like an awesome huge replacement match for Cody or idea, because I'm assuming there was something in the back burner if they were actually able to get The Rock, and plan B could be Cody wins, but plan A is The Rock. And if they've got The Rock, that means what have they got planned for Cody? And it has to be something that is strong enough where the fans really want to see it. And then you can follow that through to WrestleMania. There's things they can do, but it feels like he needs a massive like WrestleMania match. Like a really big star highlighting spotlight scenario. Where it feels like a big deal, even though he's not the main event, not the uh, ending thing. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but it was very funny. <laughs> it was really funny. Also, like one note on this is, it was a very long segment. I think this whole entire segment with Jin and The Rock went for 20 minutes. But they gave Jinder loads of time. And I guess I was like praising the fact that this actually felt like a character you could sink your teeth into. But the entire point was he was basically just doing an anti-American promo to set up the American hero, The Rock, the future president of the United States. Why are you actually doing the film Idiocracy? <laughs> what is wrong with you, America? But they, the main problem kind of was, I, can, I do understand the critique, is the reason Jinder got so much time as he did to kind of tell the length he did is because he hasn't been on television. He isn't this character. So dedicated time to try and 
any way to try and sell you that he was actually the WWE surprise so that when the rock's music hits, you're not ready for the second wave. I was just actually enjoying the crux of his character and then he went a bit more into the uh, American bad stuff, but he, he pretty much kept it in, I am not actually saying American bad, I'm saying America's in a bad place. But then The Rock came out as if he hadn't cut that promo and he'd just done America bad. So <laughs> it was all for nothing anyway. How the characters respond to the situations and what the commentary says, they're telling you what the actual story is, or at least what intentions were behind the story. Oftentimes during the Vince era, you'd need to use that as a little compass just to tell you the direction that they're actually trying to go with it. But there is still that. Well, what, what do you fall back on in terms of like what's the actual thing you're generally trying to tell me? If the action doesn't get across clearly, just listen to the commentary. They, they tell you. It's not that difficult. When I see people coming up with wild theories on Twitter, I'm like, they literally told you. <laughs> Michael Cole literally said it three times. <laughs> he came up with a wild scenario of what this thing could be. He's like, they're telling you, this, they're telling you it. <laughs> it's not subtle. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I really like this. And seeing quite, I saw quite a lot of complaints afterwards. Like it was way too long, and I can understand, but I understood why it was too long. Where if you know you get in the rock, maybe you give Ginger a little bit of prep, but it felt like its own segment. It felt like they could use it as a character reset, and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like the rock coming back was suddenly a big moment, but when it was just Ginger cutting stuff, to me, it didn't feel like a waste of time. I'm assuming if you weren't listening to the words he was saying, which is kind of my point of saying with the just listen back, just listen to the commentary instead of what the actual story they're trying to tell. What Jin was actually saying was there's something there. I'm, I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> there was actually some substance to it. But at the end of the day, it was actually just an America bad promo. And I shouldn't have really listened. I sort of tuned out the second he started, the second he said anything about America. I was like, okay, this is America bad. <laughs> the nuance of it didn't matter. <laughs> it never happened. And the way commentary talks about it, the Rock's come back and he's like this big American hero. It was like, oh, okay, it said that was what the Rock didn't make a mistake doing the bit. It's like a returning guy who accidentally went leaned in the direction. It was like, no, 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 that was the direction. Commentary reinforced it. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. But of course, the stuff with the Rock and Roman Reigns. Uh, the Rock teasing that he might be going after Roman Reigns and they got an absolutely meteoric reception. I feel like now there is no other choice <laughs> for the main event of WrestleMania. In my head, there's the three people they've been building up on SmackDown. In, they've still got LA Knight nearish the top. You've got Randy Orton and you got AJ Styles. So you could do Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton at uh, Royal Rumble. You could do AJ Styles at Elimination Chamber. You've got your three guys, and they can then be the three for Roman to beat to run in to WrestleMania. And I know part of the the idea of it could be The Rock at the big stadium in Australia. Part of the idea is that they had such a big story and run last year that it feels like they should do something equally as big where I'm invested to that same level again this year. This time last year, you could see where the story was going. All the places had been, all the pieces had been put in place for Roman Reigns to have an absolutely incredible run, story-wise and character-wise, to WrestleMania. Everything was there for the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens arc. It played out at the Royal Rumble, then into Elimination Team. It was it was white hot the entire run through, and an absolutely incredible climax at the in both nights of WrestleMania. But all those seeds were already sowed. But for this run for Roman Reigns, there aren't any seeds <laughs> before the Rock came back. You've got the seeds, they've got the stuff that was already there in Cody, but he's not really interacting with the bloodline and that stuff. He's talking about doing that, but he's just not being ignited or anything. When I say the seeds, I mean the story was actively going there the entire run through August, uh, sorry, through the autumn into winter. That entire run for the WrestleMania season for Roman Reigns, it was building the whole way. This time that has, that, that's not been building, that isn't there. What Roman Reigns is going to be doing over the course of this run into WrestleMania is nowhere near as clear. 
That's why I was saying, well, AJ Styles came back, but we didn't really know what his character is. Randy Orton screams the number one contender for the Royal Rumble, but that doesn't feel like it's really feeding into any bigger story like the Kevin Owens match was. That's why suddenly there's that gap of, well, you could do The Rock at the big stadium. Me immediately. Yeah, you could do that, and that would be great for the Aussie fans. It would still be in the big stadium, so it wouldn't be that small a deal. But WWE won't do that. That screams a WrestleMania match. Yes, it's in a big stadium, but it's not your biggest show. And in their mindset, you run the biggest match at the biggest, biggest stadium, biggest show. It has to be WrestleMania. Sorry, Cody. Whatever you thought you were going to be doing, none anymore. I really don't know what the road for Roman is in terms of building it to The Rock. Because there's the absolutely massive caveat that neither man will really be on TV that much. So how on earth do you build your main event when you've got neither of them to produce any content <laughs> to build up to it? Like, yeah, sure, we've had the odd one where like, there's only one person there. And we've seen what that's like. At least I know with Triple H there's that consistency there and it will give the character sub characters stuff to do but when you're doing the rock versus roman reigns and you've got jimmy uso and soda sakura with paul Heyman pretty much telling the entire story with someone else who also isn't the rock <laughs> maybe it's la knight so, so for, i feel like for me the elimination chamber isn't the right choice for wwe specifically it's the equivalent of all out london when you got all all in london side when you've got all out the next week I think you ended up getting like a mix of the biggest matches from both shows, pretty much split across the two. And he got teasers on one for the other. But for the Elimination Chamber, that is a WrestleMania setup show, even though it's in front of 60,000 people. In terms of like momentum and where the stories are going to end, the reason you don't do the Rock Roman Reigns at the Elimination Chamber is because that is on the road to the story. Which is ironic because this gets in the way <laughs> of Cody. The Rock Remains is the big match, and the crowd reacted incredibly. I don't think Elimination Chamber... Sorry, Aussies. <laughs> I don't think Elimination Chamber is the road to go for it. The Elimination Chamber is not the end point, and the Rock Roman Reigns is an end point big match. You build to that. You don't have that build to the Cody match. But, yeah, there's so many different ways you could go down with The Rock. Rather than actively building like we were last year with a long story playing out for the whole course of time. Not every year has to be on the calibre of last year. But I kind of feel like there might be a bit of disappointment in my fans just because it's not going to be on the same level. Uh, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying, saying the story this year is so wildly different to what we had going into WrestleMania last year. That I feel like automatically you're just going to get some fans feeling disappointment. And maybe not really knowing where to analyse it and maybe misplacing where that disappointment is. It's just a very, very different kind of story. It's not one that's playing out of a long period of time. It's more one where the history already exists prior to it really starting. And then you kind of hint it, but, uh, on it and you now and then touch at it whilst it, other stories take the forefront. And this one's just there as the big thing, but it's not actually playing out on week-to-week -week television like The Bloodline was. Which also means Australia doesn't get the rock. <laughs> Anyway, let's get through what happened on Monday Night Raw in terms of like the order of the show for this. It was a day one special. Kicking off the year with a Nia Jax match feels a bold call, but Trips clearly believed strongly in this kind of run they've got going for Nia Jax and with Becky. Uh, Becky Lynch is so good. The punch at the end, she sold it like death itself. And Nia Jax has been way above what her standard was in a prior run. They're doing a lot to make her seem like a huge star. She caught Becky again, <laughs> legit making her bleed again, feeds back into the loop of their story really well. It's, it's one of those where, well, if you're going to get caught in a match and start to bleed, this is probably the one. It makes the most sense for this one. Uh, but yeah, Nia Jax uh, with an uppercut punch to Becky, knocking her out clean, and she gets a win. As we build up Nia, I'm assuming for Ray Ripley at the Royal Rumble. Again, that's what it kind of feels like. Is Ray Ripley just hasn't had a credible challenger pretty much in her entire run here on Monday Night Raw as the champion. 
She's had nothing <laughs> this entire time. Her character is massively over the work with the Judgment Day, way more over than it was before. They, as a group, are so incredibly over. And Ray Ripley, as an act, is still a, the megastar female act on the show. Her match with Becky is like the only thing. So you got to get her to the <laughs> the WrestleMania match. That, that that is the WrestleMania match. There is nobody else anywhere near her. It's an important in the effort to actually build up someone in Nia Jax. And that, I feel like it's paying off. The match with Becky was maybe the tester. Like, if this works, they can run Nia Ripley at the Royal Rumble. And I think they will. It did the job. Cody versus Shinsuke. One note on Cody Shinsuke. The line of, I want to give the American Nightmare one more week to dream. I was like, oh, that's an absolutely amazing line. <laughs> Playing off the roads. Isn't lines like, oh, yeah, I thought it was so good. I didn't think Cody's promo was that grand. <laughs> but that line from Shinsuke in the video, that was really good. Seth Drew main event was unfortunately hit by the ad breaks delayed from the Rocky segment, but still your like enjoyable, trustworthy Raw main event entering what would be kickstarting into the that final gear of the match when out comes Damien Priest with three minutes remaining of the show. Drew claymoring the lad whilst he's trying to cash in, so no cash in for you. The Scott clearing Judgment Day house and nailing the claymore on the Money in the Bank cash in smashed Rollins, <laughs> only for the Idaho lad's foot to be on the ropes. Because he flew in like that, but he wasn't fully paying attention just because of like, the rage that they were coming from him taking over the Judgment Day. Drew's anger costing him again as going to crash Seth through the announce table, instead ending a pedigree, rolled back into the ring for a stomp, one, two, three, Seth retains, Drew McIntyre is the reason that Drew McIntyre isn't champion. He had him beat more than one occasion and he's the one that screwed it up. And what I'd like is the words that Seth has said, where Drew, even though he's talking about all of this uh, honest stuff, he's not actually taking responsibility for his actions. And this may be kind of feeding into that, like Drew is the reason he is losing here. Yes, there's outside interference, but it's his concentration that is costing him. It's his anger that is making him lose. And he can feed that back into him as he goes into the Rumble. Unless we do Seth versus McIntyre again. But Seth was seen to have been bested by Priest and Judgment Day, which is another final important note. A nice little setup for the road of WrestleMania, which I'm assuming is going to include Damian Priest. Uh, we're doing Seth versus Punk at WrestleMania. It feels like it's a given. What's not a given is what on earth is going to happen with Priest. Do you give him a big showcase match at WrestleMania? Or do you, th do, 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 he's got the briefcase, do you do something unexpected? But that was Monday Night Raw. Day one, like within the middle of the show, a hell of a lot of nothing. Like in relatively enjoyable, but not a lot to talk about to say that it's a big built up special show. Uh, Nia versus Becky did its job at the start of the show. Then he had the absolutely huge moment with The Rock and then he had a really entertaining main event. But like this, yeah, it's a three hour show and three segments are worth watching. <laughs> I don't need to go into any more detail about why that's a little bit of an issue. <laughs> so that was day one. Let's swiftly move on to NXT New Year's Eve. What'd you say earlier? What the hell was that? Joaquin Wild flies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Carlito for this match got like a really big re reaction as he pops on down to NXT to accompany his LWO friends to face Gulak's cash gang where they've got William Regal's son is off busy in old Japan Pro Wrestling, impressing. So he's only got to face the remainder of the catch gang. And whilst Wild was on the middle rope, Carlito Mendoza stood onto the apron and they helped propel him and launch the fella, the man flying all the way to the ramp. Like, I'm not lying when I say that was quite possibly one of the longest leaps I've ever seen on Vessel Telly. The only other one I can think of is Angelico 
jumping off of the, I don't know what you call it, like the the top of Diocleta's office. <laughs> he just jumped at the top of the office doing a massive drop kick into the ring. We're talking a huge jump. <laughs> it's basically what I'm saying. This is pure distance. This is long jump. This is pure distance. Like if we are talking distance, like if we talk like a measurable distance, if, like this one we're used to, the distance to the announce table. If we're talking the distance to the announce table, that man was crashing into the second row of the crowd. <laughs> he flew so far. If you've not seen the, the gif of it or the video clips, because oh, obviously WWE put this out everywhere. Yeah, it's really impressive. And they also got a really good camera shot for the replay where it is the still camera as it pans, as he jumps across, so you really get a feel of the distance. So, oh, Kevin Dunlop being as great. <laughs> the thing I think about is Braun Strowman. Something like this where, if you remember, they're trying to show how incredibly strong Braun Strowman was and there was that video they did of him legitimately lifting a massive truck. And he completely flips it and it's incredibly impressive. But the way that it's shot and edited where it's constantly cutting back and forth. Of, Look at this incredible, absolutely incredible thing. It's like, oh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> the wah <wazza> cuts. <laughs> like, wah, cut, wah, cut, wah, cut. <laughs> As he's lifting it, lifting it, different angle, different angle. Go down on low, then look at high from above. It's doing like, like a crane shot, and let's do like a side-by thing. Let's, let's look at his face as he's lifting it, and then let's go back to the side. Let's go to a reaction shot of someone. But when you watch footage of somebody just filming it on their iPhone, it was so more impressive. Because <laughs> he generally does flip that truck. But the way that it was shot by Kevin Dunn made it feel fake. As in, when you're doing so many cuts like that, Kevin Dunn did the technique, probably because he's seen it in Hollywood and he's trying to recreate the feeling of the movies. However, the reason that happens in the movies is because they're not actually doing it. Oftentimes, especially in the action films of the 80s, they're trying to hide the fact that they're not actually doing the things that the story is telling you that they are doing. Again, it's why like, you watch a Jackie Chan film and there's just like no cuts. They're legit doing that. So they don't have to cut for the punches because they legit throw a punch and they block it. With the 80s action films, they're making it look like they're throwing a punch and blocking it. They're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same. That's why you watch The Expendables and you've got a martial artist guy in there and it doesn't quite feel the same. But why doesn't it feel the same as their movies? Well, that's because they're filming it like they're American 80s stars. As in, that's the way you film an action movie. It's like, no, that's the way you film those action movies, not all action movies. <laughs> uh, Kevin Dunn brought that to WWE. That idea of, oh, you do those cuts because you're trying to create that certain feeling, that Hollywood feeling, that we're doing all this fancy production and this is what Hollywood do and we want our stuff to feel like that as well. And he did succeed in that. It's one thing I can say that it does feel like there's way too many cuts, <laughs> just like some action Hollywood films. But the main problem is, especially when somebody's actually doing the thing, you don't cut. You just show it in one shot. If it's incredibly impressive, why are you cutting? Just let the thing, the action speak for itself. And that was the Born German thing. The action of him flipping a truck was way more impressive. And the production made it look like you were hiding the fact he was doing it. It felt fake. And then you watch the iPhone first. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, with the Joaquin Wild Flying thing, if you keep cutting around that, it'll feel like you're cutting to make it feel like the leap was longer than it actually was. Compared to this, we show the one shot, you stay on it, you pan with it, <laughs> you get to really feel the leg that he's absolutely flying. Uh, yeah, I get to do my little Kevin Dunn rant because he's gone. <laughs> well, I'm kind of interested to see if I still don't like the NXT production as a whole. Anyway, that was an absolutely incredible leap. <laughs> like uh, Mendoza in the match itself are winning with a nice Phoenix splash. Like, I will say, the main roster lot coming down to NXT really does make them feel like stars. Like, especially when the fans are actually invested in their characters in this current Triple H era. Like, compared to being invested in the wrestler behind the character from Vince's. One leap. Go watch the GIF. <laughs> Go watch the video by WWE on their channels. Yeah, it's generally impressive. Uh, Dragonov versus Trick. Uh, there, this was a storyline running through the show. 
This was a no-go as they sell the injury angle from last week, which Holland even got a proper interview talking about his relationship with injuries. So they really are leaning into this and putting it over. Uh, so Trick's victory in the Iron Survivor leads to him defending his number one contender shot instead uh, against Grayson Waller. So, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, then. They set it up with the backstage segment. So it's more like, well, it's being decided through Carmelo and Trick this is going to happen. But it's, it's an idea leaning into the should Trick be trusting Carmelo. Like another step in their saga. Uh, well, let's talk about, talk about the match itself. Because Hayes kind of like led into this match happening. Uh, Hayes in the match itself causing the distraction upon the apron. But whether he was trying to cost Trick the match gets mixed up once again as him jumping up onto the apron allows Kevin Owens to rock up and just clock Waller with a punch. <laughs> Trick wins, stays number one contender, but Carmelo isn't joyous at ringside. He's just keeping us guessing. Like, when he jumped up on that apron, what was he trying to do? Because whatever he's trying to do immediately didn't happen because him doing that causing a distraction for the referee to go to them meant Kevin Owens could punch Waller and then swing the match back into Trick's favour. So it's it keeps it nice. And it's like, I remember being really critical when this story started. I was just like, okay, if I just start getting back to NXT and they're doing this kind of storyline, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's the who it's the dangerous parking lot stuff all over again. Okay, here we go. It's NXT. I've been here before. I know the way this goes. But since then, they've constantly kind of shifted and had this play out with Carmelo constantly. You don't know what his motivations are. You think you've got a feeling of what his motivations are, and it feels pretty apparent that it's him. But because there's always something masking his intentions, be it purposeful or not in the case of this night, something always gets in the way and masks you finding out what he's actually thinking. Which means you can swerve it both ways. Either there's somebody else, and it's WWE, so it isn't in AW, but like they did with the whole undisputed reveal thing. It was hinted at and told to you the entire time, so that it's all foreshadowed and it all makes sense. So that when it's revealed, it's not a shock, but it is. It is that that shake up that's been built up and you have been waiting for, and it does shake up the programming when the, when the reveal finally happens. But it's not a shocking moment. In WWE, you can literally pull anybody out of a bag and call it a shocking moment. <laughs> you don't need to set up anything. You can just do it, and now that person's a different character. Like that's It's a very, very different world, a different vibe, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's it's the way their world works. You, you can legitimately do that. You don't need to set anything up. The audience will accept it. Um, so you can have it not be Carmella, and it's, it's, it's developmental as well. There's even less pressure for it to make sense. It's NXT. Have you watched this show? <laughs> it doesn't need to make that much sense. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. They can legitimately just pull anybody out. Um, again, not not Brian Pillman Jr., but they can pull anybody out. They can pull anybody out and it will be fine. Car Carmelo, obviously, is the one that makes the most sense. And But I feel like a lot of the WWE audience want it to be someone they're not expecting rather than it being someone where it makes sense. And I don't, I don't think done uh, currently in the swing of it, because there are ways to write you as a viewer going back and forth on whether you believe them or not. Uh, there was a, oh, there was a film of his, there's a TV show of his Ahmed, where he was a, he didn't know if he'd done the murder or not. I think it was on HBO or Showtime. Uh, his lawyer was the more famous actor. I just forgotten his name. The guy gets peed on by Bumblebee. <laughs> Transformers. I'm so sorry to any movie buffs listening to that, and that's my point of reference for the actor. But I just cannot remember his name. Um, 
but yeah, so yeah, where you throughout the course of the show on different episodes you fully believe he did it or you fully believe he didn't do it and it swings back and forth because they do such a good job of convincing you each time oh wait no and you swing back and forth that's me basically saying you, you there is there is a way for you to convince the audience either way and at the moment they're swinging you towards Carmelo it's all purposeful to make you believe he's done it and they can choose either to do something to swing you back to convince you it's not him or they can just fully lean into it and it is him or they fully lean into it as him just to bring out any old bugger from the hat <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, yeah anyway that's my thoughts on that I'm I'm generally applauding it at the moment because the direction they're giving it with these actions feels so purposeful. I'm like, you're going somewhere with this. I don't know where it is, and I don't know if you fully know what the ending is, but you're currently going somewhere, <laughs> and I like it. Uh, speaking of going somewhere, uh, Larry Vickery defeated Blair Davenport to retain the NXT Women's Championship. It, it was going all right for the English lass until, ah, my knee, and that costs her, gives uh, Valkyria... Valky- I can't say her name, Valkyria, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, room to get the win. Is it, I thought this, when this match was announced, like, oh my god, it's going to be amazing. And then I watched it, it's like, oh no, it's an NXT title match. Me mistaking what New Year's Evil kind of was as a concept, where uh, in my head I was like, oh, it's going to be almost like a pay-per-view level thing, but it's on television. So, nah, it's the it's normal standard episode of NXT with title matches on it. It's not quite the same level. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Speaking of ready, speaking of ready, speaking of going places... Tiffany Stratton continues to be the most ready talent on this show, and I will stand by that. I said that well, last week or whenever I lasted the show. She is the most ready talent on NXT. For me, above Carmelo, above Von Baker, she is the most ready. Not just because she's got her the, the wrestling side down, which quite often you see fans jumping too quickly when someone's got the wrestling side down. No, no, no. She's got her character down too. She doesn't feel like somebody playing this character. She, she feels like the character when you're watching her on the screen. Like She is so ready. Like, I will be shocked if she's not on the main roster before the summer. Like, hell, even the Rumble's a shout. She finishes this story with Henley. She can go go straight to the Royal Rumble. Like, for me, she's that ready. And I would have I would have her in the Rumble. It doesn't mean you're going to definitely call her up, but I feel like she is the most ready talent on this show. <laughs> call her up. <laughs> she's ready. Uh, the opposite of that, let's go to the breakout tournament. The uh, men's breakout tournament final... Uh, Oberfemi with his big boy, with the no, well, he's a big boy, obviously, but he gets his, he's a big boy, low down camera angles, looking up at him like he's the great Carly. Uh, Riley Osborne with his chase you innocent crush angle, like he's just an English lad with a dream. Uh, Oberfemi with a hell of a chest chop to the poor chap. The big lad able to toss the Englishman around with ease. Uh, like he's Takeshita with Darby Allen. <laughs> Osborne, the perfect final opponent to make our winner look like a beast of strength. And Oberfemi came out of this looking really impressive. And he cut a pretty damn good uh, promo, which went up on their socials as well afterwards, if you want to check that out. Now, Oberfemi really did impress in this tournament, and especially in this match. Vardy Osborne, the absolutely perfect guy to really showcase the guy's strengths as he wins. Uh, not a lot more to say, because it is a breakout tournament. Just that somebody gets momentum and you get some character directions for the people who are clicking. And Riley Osborne was one of those characters that did click. And so he can now run something and he's now going to be in the tag team for Chase U. And rather than it being the leader thingy, what's his face? Goatee guy. <laughs> I'm still learning NXT. Uh, yeah, I, was just, I thought this was a bigger success than the women's one purely because he feels like he's made such an impression. 
Well, it felt like the winner of the women's one was already... She had this. She didn't gain more momentum. It was the same momentum she kind of had before the tournament. This was like this is a huge sudden shift for Obafemi. <laughs> Just a, a, a momentum out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, but that's really all to talk about for New Year's Evil. I thought it was a stand. It was a. I'll call it disappointingly standard, but what I liked, I generally really liked. <laughs> and uh, the leap, the fly by Joaquin Wild is the thing to talk about. I feel like. This, Tiffany Stratton's readiness is just screaming at the moment, and Oberfemi, uh, the sheer amount of potential for a man as big as him to actually be athletic enough to pull off what he was pulling off, and for him to be able to speak like the way he does, is like, you know what, he could be a big deal. <laughs> Obviously, it's early days. It's early days. It's early days. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, that is the end of this week's Imps WWE Adventure. Again, no SmackDown, so it feels like I've kind of ran through it a little bit. I nearly talked about Wrestle Kingdom, but then Keeping It Strong Style will talk about Wrestle Kingdom for like three hours. (laughs) So it is covered on this network. (laughs) That is covered. Uh, Anyway, uh, that brings me to the end of the review. any engagement always appreciated, never taken for granted. Uh, you can help the podcast out by giving a five-star review. You can also give a donation directly to Imp through Red Circle. Why did I say to Imp in third person? I don't know. I'm the one who made my notes and then just read it out blindly. <laughs> or maybe it could be, that could be a donation thing. I will just blindly read it. <laughs> uh, Social Suplex Podcast the Network. Please just check out the other shows at One Nation Radio with Rich and James. All Things Elite with Floyd. Wrestling Art with Chris Sings with Chris Sings. Keeping It Strong Style with Jamie Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith. And we've got some new shows debuting as well, so keep an eye out for those. I think we've got two new shows starting soon, too. So it will be on your feed, so get ready for that. And I mean, it's already been revealed on Twitter. <laughs> Jeremy did a whole big thing. But uh, yeah, do keep out for your feeds for the new stuff coming your way. And with that, I say thank you for. Uh, what do I, what's my sign off? I'm so tired. I've been <laughs> watching Metal Game since like 6 a.m. <laughs> uh, with that, I bid you adieu. Adios.